we had gotten just over 15,000 votes despite telling people not to turn out to vote or telling our own supporters more specifically not to turn out because it wasn't safe. Wow. Wow. So I understand after you finish that campaign, you feel positive, right? You feel like you've got an authentic connection with the community. Did you start immediately on this campaign or did something else happen? Just walk us through the chronology. Oh, yeah. We went into lockdown the week before the primary in particular. And at that point, I wasn't even returning home. I was just staying with the candidate at that point. And basically, after the campaign, the Christian County DSA came into being, the Western Illinois DSA came into being directly as a result of our labor. And then I basically just stayed in the home because we were afraid about the pandemic conditions. I had a roommate that struggled and so we weren't sure how that was going to work out with pandemic safety. I eventually found a place to house sit. And then I got a job at the county treasurer's office as an account clerk. Worked there starting on April 20th. So that's a 420 for everybody. And then a month later was fired. Okay, that's not good. Because... I filed a grievance after I was given political orders that were in violation of my contract. And I even had to stop a political attack from the treasurer at that time. She was an appointed official and she was trying to get slated. That is the process by which the Democratic Party puts a candidate onto a position that no one filed for that office for. And Alan, yep, this is the perfect time for me to interrupt and for us to go. <laughs> beginning of this story because here you are you're working in the office of a state democratic party you see some corruption it's a little like the place beyond the pines you make your move and now we need to zoom out mm -hmm. what state are you in oh i'm in illinois <laughs> i just thought that was a good point to lay down can you explain just what the state political machine is like in your state they would like you to believe that they are progressive. They would like for you to believe that they're not bought. And they will be very loud about the few good things that they do. But most of downstate Illinois swings majority Republican. I live in the one place in the entire state that went majority Sanders during the 2020 primary. We have a Democratic supermajority in our state legislature. And we have a ban on rent control in our state. There are massive contradictions in the basic espoused values of our party. And that's something that leads people to say that we should be going through the dirty break because this is just not acceptable. Well, dirty break, clean break, all of that. Now that we kind of know the state party situation, let's talk about you. You get into this situation. You just run a grassroots campaign. What happens to you next? Well, after couch surfing and then eventually house sitting, I found myself in the uh, Champaign County Treasurer's Office and they apparently hired me not because of my qualifications, but because of political interests that were in violation of my contract, because I was a member of the American Federation of State County Municipal Employees and were protected from political orders. And uh, I filed a grievance. I was immediately retaliated against and then had to out-organize my own union staff in order to file an unfair labor practice, which held the treasurer accountable and ended up costing her her job. When something like that happens to you, do you feel more angry that you had to go through it in the first place or relieved that you survived it? 
Oh, definitely angry because the thing is that there are a lot of good people in the union there and they're in a position where I'm still receiving emails about needing to be connected to a labor lawyer because their staff just isn't advocating for them. And so that that goes into business unionism and all sorts of complicated dynamics. But it's also really intimidating because my local political apparatus, the political party apparatus, should not have that level of impact on something as basic as workplace rights. And the situation is that they do. And because they do, there is a massive safety risk for most of the people who are supposed to be able to organize because they're in unions in this county. They actually have this giant liability tied to them that stymies organizing, in my opinion. Not safe for walks here. Brandon is here. Amy, our producer's here. Amy, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. And my constant co-pilot, Kennedy Cooper, also around. Kennedy, how are you? Hey, hey, everybody. I'm okay. I'm here. I'm living. Although, Alan, you have a very interesting life. Tons of interesting stuff's happening around you. You're in Chicago. I'm sorry, in Illinois, in the midst of this just horrible state political machine. And that would always be a good reason to have you on because we hang out on Twitter all the time anyway. But the reason why we wanted to bring you on now is because you've got a campaign that like, I think is time intensive. Yeah, thank you. So uh, should I introduce the campaign real quick? Yeah, let people know like the actual main event, the thing that that the reason why we're here. So I'm the campaign lead of a group called No Ammer and Shutoffs. It's a zero dollar all volunteer grassroots campaign of over four dozen organizations and counting in the state spanning uh, north and south, east and west, all of Illinois. We've won four statewide moratoria on utility shutoffs. And we're potentially going to have a massive loss of life in our state in mid-April, unless if we win again. Do you feel frustrated that this, this is like a ball that's being continually kicked down the court and you feel like you have to organize for this again and again? Because, I mean, you've been, how long have you been doing this campaign? It started on July 12th when I had received a shutoff notice from Ameren, Illinois, personally. And they even tweeted back to me saying that not only were they going to shut us off, but they already figured out the timetable and gave us the specific dates of what they were going to do. Shutoff notices sent out July 29th, and the intent was to shut off people on August 11th. And, you know, I wish that it was just as simple as them kicking it down the court. But what they're actually doing is they're obfuscating through a series of PR campaigns that we've seen before last year, right before they are about to commit this human atrocity, where this caused a massive spike in COVID last time it happened, they went on this PR campaign about all the assistance that was available. And what they're not saying is that the assistance available this time is actually weaker than the assistance that was made available and the protections available the last time we had a COVID spike due to utility shutoffs. So it's, uh, it's not even kicking the ball down the court, it's twisting the arms of folks that are struggling and you know we have no choice but to stand up against that yeah they're yeah. not just twisting the arms they're twisting the knife kennedy how are you yeah no this stuff is really distressing and it's it's kind of sickening here like um some of the programs that utility companies 
just always had here to like give people relief if they were struggling to meet their bills are better than like the relief programs that have come out during covid you know so it's like they keep making these gestures like yeah yeah we're doing something and it's like this is less than what you used to do when there wasn't a pandemic i don't know if you're having similar experiences but it just feels like a lot of a lot of you know throwing confetti around to announce that things are actually worse than they were before <laughs> Well, it's it's a little bit of both sides of that for Illinois. On one hand, we've increased the amount of low-income home energy assistance program funding by about 49% in response to COVID. On the other hand, 70,000 less households have successfully received the low-income home energy assistance program benefits in Illinois, despite the fact that we started our LIHEAP season two months early. Yeah, and that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm seeing here is that these programs sound better, but less people are getting the assistance. Why do you think there's that disconnect in delivery, Alan? Well, because of the burden of means testing being wholly incompatible with the chronic stress and trauma of the pandemic, the loss of access to certain office buildings where you'd be able to file that paperwork or access to the machines of those offices where you'd be able to make copies or facts. And that combined with the fact that we are displacing people at the same time that we're telling them to apply for social service. How easy is it to get LIHEAP when you are transitory? It's, it's just not possible. It sounds like you have some personal experience there. Uh, me personally, fortunately, no, but this is something where when we canvassed our community to try to sign people up for LIHEAP, we frequently came into contact with abandoned buildings. I got a question, Alan. If a company is given money specifically by the government to do relief programs, but then not enough people quote unquote sign up for that relief, what happens to that money? Do they give it back to the government? I haven't a clue, but as far as the money that's been provided to the utility corporations, I think that it's been exhausted every single time that it's been made available, but I'm not 100% sure, but it's also like a pittance. We know that there are people who owe as much as $7,000 in utilities, and they're offering but a couple hundred of dollars. Well, I don't know exactly about where you are, but here are some of the programs, if they don't spend all the money, then they just get to keep it. Whoa. How messed up is that? Their incentive is not to sign someone up if they get to keep all the money either way, right? Absolutely not. Holy crap. Yeah, it's, it's messed up. It's really messed up stuff that's been going on during the pandemic with these so-called help programs. And that's part of why I've appreciated you so much is because you've talked about this kind of stuff nonstop for basically the entirety of the pandemic. I mean, let's just call it plague profiteering because that's what it is. That's what it is. That's <laughs> for sure. Yes, it's plague profits. It's happening in so many different little forms that it's hard to see all of it happening. And we're really not going to know for years the extent to what some of these companies got away with. Well, what we do know is we can find their quarterly reports. And that's how we know even after stopping some of these utility corporations from shutoffs, we've seen profits per share increase relative to the same quarter of last year in excess of 48%. And that's just insane that technically they are saying we've got more customers than ever with higher amounts behind on bills. How are they still increasing their profits per share then? Like it's just nonsensical. I mean, from a capitalistic analysis, like that's makes complete sense why they would have that, why they would do that. But the fact that they are convincing or otherwise getting units of our government to start to remove protections for folks when we're not ready yet as a state, it's literally profiting over the bodies of our own residents. Yeah. 
Hey, Brandon, how does this compare to what's going on in Atlanta? Atlanta, many people in town have felt like they're bluffing with people and kicking the ball down the curb. I haven't lost my own stuff, but there have been utility shutoffs like across the state. And it's been, um, you know, you're living under Brian Kemp. It's a totally different game than what's going on upstairs. It's been just really rough down here, whether it's with shutoffs or with schools or with business openings, with mask regulations, with doing things quickly, like you name a category and Georgia is probably at or near the fucking bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting it out with North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think part of the thing I'm just thinking about what you said, Alan, about like the company's making more money than ever. And I can definitely say that like my own experience with poverty is that, you know, sometimes when you live in a shitty place, you just spend as little time there as possible under normal conditions, especially like if you're trying to like save money on the utilities, maybe you spend all day at the coffee shop doing your homework or things like that. But they know everybody's stuck right now. Like we all need this service that they provide absolutely uh, in this way that we didn't before. And that's interesting to think about because it's it's easy to think like, oh, we, we always need utilities, but we need them more now. Well, we need them. But with the federal eviction protections, which I understand may be expiring, there's another interest there. Utility shutoffs, as I might have mentioned, are a way of dehousing people without an eviction, right? So like, this is something that's not just me conjecturing it. The Intercept did a piece where they actually quoted us, but they also quoted uh, some, you know, like national law person who actually provided that quote, and they cited them in that particular example. Like, this isn't something that's contentious. And when it comes to just how frustrating this all is, like in a red state, I have no idea how one would actually fight for utility shutoffs because you have to get some level of buy-in. Like this is too large a scale an issue to actually rely on private fundraising, which is why we just said, screw it, we're a zero dollar campaign because otherwise we'd be spending all our time fundraising and not being able to help people at the scale needed. But in Illinois, we actually got a bill in the legislature and we added more sponsors to it just yesterday, HB 2877. And it's appropriating federal dollars that Mitch McConnell made available to pay directly to housing and utility service providers. So uh, landlords and the corporations, but it's going to apply directly to household debt. And so, you know, we, we have light at the end of our tunnel. It's just a question of how many people they're going to kill in between now and then, uh, or if we're able to just hold the line until then. Well, so these first uh, shutoffs were supposed to go off in August. I know it's up north, but I also know the Midwest is super temperate. Was that a big risk for people's health and stuff? Yeah. I mean, besides the fact that the Congressional Research Service had a 2007 report that basically said that continuity of essential services such as public utilities should be part of a state's plan. They had to write down that 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 should be part of their plan. Like, who needs to write that down? (laughs) So they didn't write it down like as, oh, geez, we should totally have this. They were looking at how many states had that as part of their plan. And in 2007, it was only seven states. And that's including DC in that. So like seven out of 51 had that as a plan. And we've known for a hundred years that it's been a key safety factor, right? Like we had utilities the last time we were dealing with the pandemic. That was something that I don't think a lot of people understand. And actually I came across the Congressional Research Service report when trying to look at, you know, historical analyses of what happened last time during the pandemic. But yeah, they wanted to shut us off on August 11th. But the week before that was Cori Bush's primary. That's in Missouri. 
The other branch of Ameren, Illinois, is Ameren, Missouri. And the day before Cori Bush's primary, they shut off utilities. She posted about it at least twice. And so like, it's not only a safety issue, but anybody who's just like, I just care about electoral stuff. Well, it was a voter suppression issue too. And it was one of those reasons where I was distraught over the fact that that may well have handed Trump the election. Thankfully, it didn't. But like, that was something that I just could not fathom that they would allow that to happen at all in blue states. Like we lost the fair tax, which was a chance to go from a flat tax in Illinois to a progressive tax to like eat the rich and all that, or at least have an appetizer. And that failed completely. And when we looked at the number of housing units shut off during that time and the uh, skew in the vote, it's arguable that that was a factor and they just let it happen. Yeah. I mean, if people can't deal with their basic problems at home, they're not getting out to the polls. Yeah. And when it's the flagship program of our governor, you'd think that he'd do everything in his power to realize that aim instead of potentially financially benefiting a corporation he received over 24% of his inherited wealth from. So it was very upsetting. Yeah. So you mentioned just like holding the line until this bill can get passed. What does it mean to hold the line from like an organizing mutual aid type standpoint? Like what kinds of like on the ground stuff need to get done? And like what could somebody who's like in a state where they're not as organized yet maybe like pick up on? Well, I'll start with what are we doing right now, which is like yesterday, we simultaneously lobbied different legislators and also snuck into the governor's press conference in a part of the state that they thought we had no presence in. And, you know, when the people that you have sneaking in are like two elderly disabled ladies, they're not going to be kicked out. And uh, they even took pictures with them. The governor took pictures with them as well as a state rep. And they didn't know that those were our protesters because of the tact that he chose to use because we're now on the start of an escalation strategy. So like, you know, if you go from zero to 60, you got to start somewhere. So we said, how about five? And so we're going to know where the governor's press conferences are every day in our state. And um, some news outlets, uh, potentially Politico, will have daily news briefings of where your governor is going to be or where your substantial uh, electeds in your state are going to be on a particular day. And so we went and said hello. We uh, distributed a graphic on Facebook because that's more geographically relevant relevant sometimes for blowing up the phone lines of the Illinois Commerce Commission. That's the regulatory body that is trying to allow the resumption of shutoffs. And basically, if we make their work day a living hell where they're just hearing about complaints all day, they may just actually extend the moratorium. That's how we won our first and second moratorium. Didn't cost any money. We shared a graphic 93 times. People were so disturbed by it, that they blew up the phone lines to the extent that the um, Democratic Party chair in our capital literally told a DSA candidate they didn't know was a DSA candidate, literally told him that we were blowing up their phone lines so much that the Commerce Commission was getting tired of answering the phone and complaining about it to her. So that's one of the easiest things to do is look up your state utility regulatory body or just ask me and I'll help you find it. And they have somewhere on their website a phone number to file an informal complaint. And because these corporations all benefit from understaffed and underfunded units of our public government, you can overwhelm their phone lines really easily. That's awesome. That's some top shelf activism, Alan. <laughs> like that's such a great 
easy thing to like get people on board for pick up your phone and make some trouble you know (laughs) but it works and i think people sometimes discount the value of just visibility you know just making a a loud enough noise and uh you know what that can do for a problem i call this being a karen for good (laughs) (laughs) like the the way i look at it is you got to be loud about where the jugular is because Targeting is just as important as the call to action. And in this particular thing, we know what makes our state government scream. And so we are starting very cautiously because we have legislation on the table, which means we need the governor to sign it. So it just so happened conveniently that the Illinois Commerce Commission of their own volition decided that they were going to be a target. They proposed the reopen plan. A bit of backstory, the Illinois Commerce Commission, our state regulatory body, has been repeatedly saying that it's our governor who is where the buck stops with. And most recently, their staff recommended that they reopen, that they resume utility shutoffs, and they didn't even discuss it before passing it. So they cannot absolve themselves of the responsibility. They cannot say that they are powerless to stop the situation because we've won concessions from them before. We've gotten them to send out a letter on September 4th of last year to all utility corporations in the state that they need to uh, suspend utility shutoffs. We've gotten them to then send that letter out in a press release on September 9th. And this time they're just saying that they can't do anything. Sounds like people are prioritizing their jobs more than human lives. And as somebody who sacrificed my job to make sure that basic workplace rights were upheld, I cannot empathize with that at all. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Like, I I think you have to draw the line with that level of, like, comfort and sacrifice somewhere. And it's tough because capitalism makes that line so very blurry. But, uh, yeah, these people are are just profiting off of suffering, whether they want to recognize it or not. And uh, being a part of that, even a, a ways down the chain, is still pretty scummy when it's this level of disgusting behavior that is just, just ruining lives and costing lives. Well, but every single one of the commissioners of our regulatory body are directly appointed by the governor. So they're not far down the chain at all. They're just as high up the chain as any board of trustees member for a public university. They're all directly appointed by the governor. And you don't get appointed to a position based purely off your qualifications. You really don't. So let me get this straight. This whole fiasco is governed by a few appointees. Five. And, okay, a handful of appointees, and the state legislature is not involved at any stage. They just do what they want once they're appointed? That's my understanding. I've not seen any confirmation hearings, and so that may be part of the process that I just don't see. But I've seen the press releases where they announce that these folks have been appointed. And the state legislature, to their credit, they actually have, as I mentioned, a bill that is entirely about appropriating federal funds to our state, because our state is actually in a very financially precarious situation. And last time we had this bill introduced, it passed the state house, but there was only one state senate uh, sponsor who then just 
kept it in her pocket. It died in the uh, lame duck session. We actually would have called off the No Amarin Shutoffs campaign had that passed all the way back in January. And because of one state senator, State Senator Laura M. Murphy, you know, April, if we resume shutoffs, is something that it can be directly traced to her decision. Because otherwise, people would have been caught up on their utility bills. Our unemployment rate in Illinois is 7.7%. That's only about two or three points higher than it was before the pandemic in our state. I mean, it's still like 20 degrees at night in April in Illinois, right? Oh, yeah. Anytime I walk outside and my really crappy Nest thermostat decides that it's going to leave it on the eco setting and I flat out forget, I wake up and I'm going, why the hell am I really, really cold? And this is coming from somebody who's housed. So yeah, no, it's we are in the middle of fool's spring. We are about to have, I'm sure, another cold spell sooner or later. But yeah, this morning it was about 29 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, it, it's... Yeah, we have a 20 to 30 degree swing every day uh, between morning and evening. I used to live in Florida. So for me, that's something that I just I don't think I'll ever get used to. I just want to make sure we're clear on, you know, how these shutoffs are like literally deadly. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Last time they started utility shutoffs, we went from uh, about a thousand cases a day to 2000 cases a day within uh, two weeks. We reached 3000 cases a day every day since then. Three weeks in. Four weeks in, we were at 4,000 cases a day. And by the end of October, we were at over 6,000 cases a day before Halloween, before the election. And we had a 151% increase in our new COVID caseload, 72% increase in the number of hospitalizations. On and on it goes, all of them over 60%, including deaths. I think deaths were about 83% increase. And if the state wanted to obfuscate tactfully, they wouldn't have released that information at all, but because we literally were bird-dogging the governor everywhere he went, whether it was Bloomington, whether it was Champaign, whether it was Urbana, whether it was Decatur, whether it was in Macomb, we had folks there not only to just be present, but to disrupt his press conferences. How many human beings did you did you have as your core group for this project? So each organization commits at least one liaison. And the reason for that structure is because amidst a simultaneous economic crisis, racial justice movement, and one hell of an election, there was no way that we were going to get a decent amount of organizational bandwidth without having someone dedicated to the core group to serve as an information and action valve between the campaign and their respective organizations. And as the need increased, the amount of information and asks between us and the liaisons increased. And so getting an exact number is kind of hard because do you count the entire membership of the group? Do you count the amount of members who mobilized? We didn't get any data on how many of our own members phone banked, for example. We just were spreading the word as quickly and as rapidly as we can or could. So that's difficult to say. We even had people protesting outside of the Illinois Commerce Commission building and one of them got punched in the face for it. If somebody in in their state wants to do something of this scale, what is the first thing that they need to do? Is it just they need to pick up a a phone book and just start calling orbs? What's, What's the most important way to get the ball rolling on something important like this? 
you know, that's almost exactly what I did. I actually crafted an email with a set of asks. I said, this is the situation. We are uh, about to hit a really dangerous point in the pandemic, unless if we act. And we need somebody who can make it to our weekly escalation meetings who would be willing to serve in as an, an information valve. And if your organization uh, approves this, please also send an email to the governor's office saying that you have joined our campaign. And we did that for the initial cohort. We eventually dropped the email requirements because things just got so much more aggressive at that point. At first, we thought the governor actually meant well and just didn't understand things. The moment that he lied to the press on October 27th, I think it was, and got fact-checked and didn't even blink an eye. I mean, yeah, he almost chewed off the head of a conservative shill afterwards at the next press conference and showed up 40-something minutes late, which was conspicuous. But he was fact-checked. The story remains up, and he will still say that he has no power to stop utility shutoffs, even though he can issue an executive order on it any day. But yeah, I sent an email out to pretty much every organization and student group think of. And as each one dropped in, we added them to our summary document, we added them to a group chat, it would have been better if we used the Slack or Discord, but you know, we just used what we were familiar with. And from there, it was deciding how structured or structureless are we going to be. And that's really important because organizational labor is labor. If you are going to keep meeting minutes, that's labor. If you are going to hold votes on things, that's labor. And we made a very unusual decision that ended up being our saving grace, which is we basically went dictatorship. <laughs> Um, old Roman style uh, in the sense that we don't have votes. This is something where I've literally been obsessing about it, but I, I try to, you know, everybody can say no to anything that's asked of them, but the asks currently come from me. And what we have been doing with that is trying to diffuse information so that more than one person is an expert. I was hospitalized during this thing. But the other thing is that we need to make sure that people are living and breathing this stuff if they're the ones calling the shots. And this is something that I've literally had nightmares over. So that was the decision. And it turned out to be a wiser decision than we realized, because almost any leftist will know about the tyranny of structuralistness document that warns about how when you have a structuralist group, you end up having social cliques call the shots. But what we did was we started with a hard left flank for the organizations that we were recruiting. We started with the Peoria Democratic Socialists of America, as well as the Communist Party of Bloomington Normal, and a couple other groups, including the Party for Socialism and Liberation. And what that allowed us to do was weather double agents who we've literally had to expel from our organization. It's, it's unfortunate that I, I was activated by Bernie Sanders, but the Our Revolution folks operated with a really abusive conduct and we wrote them off after a while and just kept on doing what we needed to do. But on November 14th, I was literally threatened by the state board member and she was trying real hard to find a way that she could procedurally take over or at least procedurally get some sort of vote of no confidence for an action that we had done. And because there was literally nothing that she could do, and that's, again, it's very risky because if that was in the hands of somebody lacking praxis or lacking good faith, that could go terribly wrong. But because this is literally about saving human lives, politicians' comfort be damned, when someone who was beholden to a political apparatus was made too uncomfortable and she was trying her abusive tactics, there was nothing that she could latch onto. And she even slipped up and made threats when we had other liaisons still on the call. Like, it was that desperate. 
So that's a accountability project that's secondary to stopping utility shutoffs. But we had at 1.3 our revolution chapters in our organization. After we held accountable a politician in our state, my state rep, they decided that was the time that they were finally going to leave no iron shutoffs. And we just bid them adieu. Did they have some sort of press release or media cover story or did they just quietly leave? They quietly left while trying to smash all the windows. They went into our group chat and started to make like all caps accusations about some sort of conspiracy and all this sort of stuff. And that makes for very good receipts. Yeah, no kidding. One of the things that I'm very adamant of for organizing is the skill of printing receipts. So like we just let them do it. We then recruited organizations that had been specifically staying out because they were in. In particular, Indivisible Metro East and Southern Illinois DSA, who knew this organizer that had then been kicked out of the organization and or left, depending on how you want to talk about that sequence of events. They joined almost immediately afterwards. And it was Indivisible Metro East who showed up to the governor's press conference yesterday. Meanwhile, I, I could talk forever about the bad faith conduct and the sort of promises that they made that ended up never coming true. And within a month of being involved in no image shutoffs, another org has done more than an R revolution based group sure. that had been in since the start. So that's just one of the things that you have to always keep in mind is how are you going to handle grievances? How are you going to handle those sorts of disputes? And again, in our particular case, due to the lack of bandwidth, structurelessness was the way to go. But I'm someone who believes very deeply in accountability in the DSA resolution 33 and the harassment grievance officer process being necessary. It was the first thing that I did as the co-chair of Champaign-Urbana DSA was to get a harassment grievance officer in. And we're in the process of trying to roll out some sort of coalition standard in the state to make sure that folks that try that kind of conduct will alienate their own organization rather than trying to abuse and traumatize folks out of organizing. Help me imagine the future. First of all, the future for this coalition. You know, if you got, I know that there's obviously major battle, major battles ahead, but in the future, what kind of topics do you guys all feel like you can work on together? Or is this like a special event where you feel like even keeping this kind of coalition together with something that was extremely tiring and could really have only been organized around an issue like this. So uh, I'll start with the reverse. I expected it to be really tiring and something we would only organize around this one issue. And that's one of the reasons why we don't have a website. We never incorporated. We don't have a Facebook page or a Twitter page or anything like that dedicated to the campaign. We were expecting this to be a short few weeks long campaign where we just make things plain enough to the governor where he does the right thing. And as we've kept on going, the organizing relationship between the liaisons is something that that will help with coalition building in other fronts. But as far as what the specific mission is, we're still embroiled in the middle of a fight and we can't really put in labor to planning on what next steps would be because just like last time where we saw an 83% increase in deaths, our COVID caseload now is higher than it was right before utility shutoffs last time. We had over 2000 cases a day for the last three or four days and the B117 variant of COVID is here. So, you know, what I hope it might turn 
turn into is a sustained organizing relationship between all these different locals, in particular the DSAs. In our coalition right now is Lakefront DSA, Western Illinois DSA, Logan County DSA, which is a branch of Central Illinois DSA. They have two other branches that are members, including Sangamon and Christian County, and the chapter as a whole, or the organizing committee as a whole, voted to join as well. If I didn't say Peoria DSA, Bloomington Normal DSA, Champaign-Urbana DSA, and Southern Illinois DSA so far. And that sort of collaboration is something that can drastically change the dynamics of our state. Again, like we have a ban on rent control, and this is something that affects downstate as much as upstate. We have mobile home communities that are affected by that, but we're also one of the most likely states where we'd be able to win a Green New Deal because of our Democratic supermajority on the legislature, because of the different environmental policies that have been passed before. So it, it really is up to the organizations and how they organize to see what people power they will have available for future collaborative effort. So suppose you win this this fight, you know, some sort of permanent or semi-permanent moratorium on shutoffs, you know, until COVID is not a problem or something. You know, what what what's the next thing you're going to fight for? Right. That's that's what I'm saying. I don't actually know what the next thing is that we would fight for in terms of as a coalition, but just the fact that we were able to make those relationships and that we have an organizing chat between each other and that we allow solidarity posts for any initiative of those organizations already, it bodes well, but I don't know. Like if I had my druthers, I would say that we need to have a statewide Medicare for all, statewide Green New Deal and lift the ban on rent control. Now, if we could do all I three- I wanted to hear about your druthers. So that's, that's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, but um, one of the things that I also want to mention, at least, is that we have a state that is deceptively red in the sense that most of our political geography uh, swings Republican, but most of our population is Democratic. And such a dynamic makes it challenging for racial justice efforts to not be undermined uh, statewide, which is what's happening right now. So... If we start to actually get more DSA folks to not only, you know, organize on the state level, but through the spectacle of a principled struggle, which is what I call a flashpoint tactic, catalyze their local organizing to where they are actually uh, able to meaningfully take power and improve their immediate material conditions. That would be something that I'm way more interested in, in the sense that you have to have at least that in order to have a coalition that politicians will never cross. Like right now, they're crossing us left and right. And we have to dial up the pain meter on them until they capitulate. We wouldn't have to do that at all if we were the American Bay County Municipal Employees. We wouldn't have to do that at all if we were SEIU, the Service Employees International Union, or the Illinois Federation of Teachers. But we do have to do that because we are not with the same power as those unions currently. And that's something we have to change. It's a big task. And you seem up to at least taking those first steps. And really where it goes is, like you said earlier, it's up to the people. It's up to the collective imagination of the people working on it, which I think is true for almost everything that we do. Alan, thank you for coming on. Thank you for hanging out with us for a little while. Is there anything that people can do since there's no website, there's no Facebook, and it's kind of decentralized? If you live in the state and you're hearing about this for the first time, what do people need to do in order to be up to date? 
Well, uh, if that person that is interested in joining is a member of an organization, ask that organization to vote to join and become the liaison of that organization. Reach out to any group that is using the NoAmmon shutoffs hashtag. It's not widely used, actually, but it's used for archival purposes on our end. Right. But one of the things that I want to say to people out of state is that even if you don't think that you can win, there's still a win condition for you. And that's why we actually are fighting unconditionally in terms of this is something that if the political winds hugely shifted and they said it's never going to happen, we would still fight is because printing receipts is an organizing skill. The politicians are going to try as hard as they can to write the first draft of history. And it's your job to make sure that it is plainly obvious to some new history grad employee who wants to look at what the hell was happening, how culpable these people were and what human rights crimes they just let happen. Listen, thank you for coming on. Yeah, well said. We want to have you back soon. This has been a banger. This has been well said. You do the kind of work that like actually damn matters. And I think when you said the, the, the spectacle of local struggle being a big galvanizing force along a large geographic area, I think that's super inspiring for people who are in quote unquote blue states, but the land is Republican, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, could um, I jump in with yeah. one more question? Um, Alan, this style reminds me so much of ACT UP. Was that part of the inspiration for this style of activism? I, I wish that I could say the answer is yes, because I learned about ACT UP barely a month ago, and uh -huh. their work is just amazing. It, it literally- if someone asks if you're inspired by ACT UP, you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fine to have the same good idea twice, you know? <laughs> Patreon.com slash not safe. Twitter, NSF Walks, YouTube.com slash Not Safe Media. We're just everywhere. Just look for us. You'll find us. There's lots more. And we will see you again next time after a while. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much.